What's up, everyone? Before we jump into today's episode, I would like to share a couple of announcements with you all. On September 15th, 2022, I'll be attending the sixth annual ConV2X Symposium focused on blockchain and healthcare today and tomorrow. The event will be in Austin, Texas, and I'm really looking forward to hearing updates from the industry's leaders. This is one of the few conferences that's specifically focused on healthcare applications using blockchain. I moderated a panel on medical moonshots at the 2019 conference where I met a bunch of new and interesting people early on in the space. Today's podcast guest, John Hatchell, will also be at the event discussing why we need a Web 2.5 before healthcare can adopt Web 3. If you are planning to attend, let me know. However, you're likely listening to this episode after the conference has ended, so I'll catch you maybe on the next one. And the next one being Desai Boston on September 18th at my local city of Cambridge. I love meeting my listeners and podcast guests in person in real life. There's also the Hyperledger Global Forum on September 12th to the 14th in Dublin, Ireland, but unfortunately I can't make it across the pond for that one. If you do go, let me know how it is. Additionally, I would like to let you know that I'm introducing a new way to reach the Health Unchained community. I will be using Supercast to enable Health Unchained membership subscriptions, giving you access to exclusive content and gifts. I hope this will drive more awareness about the show and also help cover the operating costs of the show. So if you are a fan and you think what I'm doing is important for the community, then check out the link to my Supercast page in the show notes. I would be immensely grateful. And for today's conversation, John Hatchell of Tie-Dye Health joins us to discuss how blockchain can help improve inventory management for medical device suppliers and hospitals. More specifically, Tie-Dye Health is leveraging DAML, which stands for Digital Asset Modeling Language. I hope you all enjoy this episode as much as I do. If this is the first time listening to the show, welcome. And don't forget to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and check out my Supercast page. Remember, the Health Unchained podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only, and we are not providing any sort of legal, financial, or medical advice. Please do your own research and due diligence before making any important decisions related to these matters. And now, let's get to the show. Hi, I'm your host, Ray Dogan, and welcome to Health Unchained. On this show, I will be speaking with healthcare entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and executives who are using blockchain technologies to revolutionize healthcare. These innovators are building the distributed infrastructure and diverse communities required for a trusted, secure, and decentralized healthcare ecosystem. Enjoy the show. What is blockchain? blockchain. What is blockchain? The doctor will see you now. Welcome to Health Unchained. I'm really excited for our guest today. We'll be speaking with John Hatchell, CEO and founder of Tie-Dye Health. John, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Ray. It's a real pleasure. And I'd love to learn more about your background and give the audience sort of like a precursor to what we're going to talk about as well. I'll let you go. Yeah, sure. So come from pretty humble beginnings, grew up on a farm in South Jersey, uh, which is an interesting place to grow up. You know, where I grew up was about 15 minutes from Philadelphia. So I had the best of small town and big city living kind of through most of my adolescence. And then from there, I had the opportunity to go play football at the flagship university uh, in Massachusetts, UMass Amherst with my brother. And 
had a great experience up there. And most kids, I think, are in college trying to figure out what you're going to do with yourself and kind of had the intention of going to law school. Took the LSATs, was pretty dead set on doing that after I graduated. And one thing led to another and just kind of decided I didn't w- want to get back into it, right back into academia and, and back into studying and the books day after day. And so I decided to just kind of work and make a little money and in the interim and take a year off from schooling and during that time, met somebody who worked for a company called Stryker. And at the time, I didn't really know much about this industry whatsoever. But the gentleman that uh, I connected with kind of told me, that, hey, you should come, you come work here. Uh, it's a great opportunity to make a really good living. And you get to hang out in surgery and handle uh, kind of the quality control around the, the use of these implantable devices. And so, you know, this was back in 2007. So we, we had the luxury of, of going to surgeries on ride-alongs with reps back then. That, that's kind of frowned upon these days. There's a lot more restrictions around that, but had the opportunity to go observe surgery. And I'd say from the day I got in, I was pretty much hooked and, and knew that I was really interested in taking that role. You know, parlayed that into a uh, little over a 13-year career in the medical device industry, and then a short stint in financial services before finding my way as a co-founder and CEO tie-dye. That's amazing. Thanks for sharing all that. And I'm actually from New Jersey as well. So North Jersey though. So of course we're better. But... Different state. Different state. <laughs> no, I love South Jersey as well. And used to check out Atlantic City on some occasions too. So I think that's... Frequently when it, when it was fun. Yeah, when it was fun, right? <laughs> um, but that's really cool. I didn't know you actually worked at Striker for that long. Really awesome. I think that probably created a foundation for what you learned about medical devices and all the issues and internally probably dealing with other related yeah 100 percent. i mean i grew up there i was i started when i was 23 years old i think i was one of the youngest hires that they had ever brought into the organization and so obviously i i wouldn't call myself the most mature 23 year old so i really grew up in the organization you know had a great experience and that culture had a lot of influence on me you know as i uh, matured into the, uh, the individual i am today that's interesting. And I wonder when you started Tie-Dye Health and when you and your co-founder started it, were you still at Stryker or was that something that you... No, no. So I left the Stryker organization in, in 2020 and went to go work for a firm in financial services, just was looking for kind of what was next in my career. I think I my last day with them was sometime at the end of February. And so I started this new role, basically first week of March 2020. Well, mm-hmm. I mean, everybody knows kind of what happened a few weeks later, right? The pandemic hits. And so just had this immense amount of time on my hand that I was not used to. I was in a the sales director role with Stryker and was traveling on the road 50 to 60 nights a year, you know, wait for my family, incredibly busy, incredibly involved with customers, my team and their day to day. And so all of a sudden the world stops and you're sitting there and you're like, okay, now what do I do? And I'm not a golfer and right? I'm not one of those people who has all these hobbies that to keep themselves occupied. I'm pretty much, I'm a worker and a family man. And that's pretty much where I draw the line. So really how this all kind of came to be about was joining this practice, they had a little bit of a health tech segment. And so ideally, they were there to partner with companies. And one of the areas that I thought I could provide some immediate value outside of my influence in working with healthcare facilities and uh, physician offices, direct provider engagements, things of that nature, was uh, I obviously wanted to try to see what the emerging themes were in health tech. And so you, you learn about a lot of things, right? Machine learning, AI, right? We're going down lots of rabbit holes. But the one that really struck a chord with me more than all of them was around blockchain. And so I was a crypto investor. I think I got the itch somewhere in that 2016, 2017 fever pitch that everyone mm-hmm. kind of got in on, right? And was on 
Coinbase, trade trading coins, like buying Ether and buying Bitcoin and, and all the other uh, coins that I could at the time. And it was obviously really exciting and made some great returns, had some pretty terrible losses, right? But kind of was hooked. And so obviously I, I had a really good working interest of crypto in some respect at that point, but never really could understand like the utility aspect of healthcare. This job really opened me up to trying to understand that. What initially started as a curiosity quickly became an obsession. Literally, with all this time on my hands, I'm into books and YouTubes and then shameless plug here, the Hyperledger, you know, special interest group for healthcare. Like I got involved with that. We know each other from just kind of just being a sponge, right? Soaking it all up, trying to learn as much as I could. And, and the lights really started to come on. And I really did start to become a believer the more hours I dedicated to trying to understand this technology and understand what the actual promise that could be delivered in healthcare could be. Because I mean, everybody who's worked in healthcare has experienced healthcare you don't have to be too close to it to understand like, look, it's got its problems, right? It's got its fair share of challenges. And so I was just really excited about the opportunity to find, open up Pandora's box and see if this could potentially be a real catalyst for change. And so, you know, the more research I did, the more I immersed myself in the community, the more people I met, the more I got myself educated, the more and more I started to believe that this indeed could be it. Made the decision. I said, look, I got to get myself a little bit more educated on this. So I ended up taking some executive education courses on blockchain and really just takes you back and takes starts walking you back because through all the principled understandings of like how true blockchain fundamentals, right? Like I remember like the first week we're learning like it becomes more philosophical than anything else. Like, okay, what is a currency, right? Is right. cryptocurrency even a currency, right? And so it was just incredibly intriguing. And I would say somewhere within those first few weeks, of just understanding kind of the principal elements of how blockchain works and why this intermediation that it can provide, especially in healthcare, was when I probably had my aha moment and found a way that, look, this combining this technology with some of the elements that I experienced in my old life can certainly be a path of success. And so, which is one that we collectively as an organization have embarked upon. I love that. Thank you for sharing all that. I think it's important to tell these stories because everyone kind of falls in this rabbit hole in a different way. And you don't have to be a technologist, right? You are a sales director, very much working with clients day to day, very active with your team. So you have this understanding of how it works in the hospital, how it really works, because you have to deal, you have to work with these surgeons, work with these payers at the hospital who are going to actually elect to buy your equipment. So it's really an interesting perspective to have and a very important one. Otherwise, you wouldn't have the insights you do to make something like tie-dye happen. You know yeah. what I mean? Well, I would like to talk a bit about the medical device industry as a whole, really like, you know, when we say medical devices, we're talking about things like heart implants, dialysis machines, all the equipment you can find in a hospital or in a clinic setting. And for you, can you share some like just high level insights, maybe like how many medical devices are in the marketplace or what's the volume of cash that's exchanged in terms of dollars for the whole market? Anything like just general high level? Yeah, sure. So when you look at medical devices as they're defined, and it's kind of a broad term. And so it can include all of the capital diagnostic equipment in some people's definitions. It can include all of the med surge and consumable products that are necessary to facilitate surgical procedures or even patient care. And then obviously the space that I'm incredibly versed with the medical device world, right? Or the medical device implantable world, which is a world that I lived in for quite some time. 
I think they're all kind of unique and kind of all have their own cadence and how they operate. So I, I can give a little bit of a peek into what that world looks that that I experience looks like. And there's certainly there's some overlap, but the implantable market specifically is interesting. So when you look at the general bucket, it's a $200 billion market, right? When you look at medical devices as a whole, when you look at the implantable medical device market, I think the estimates are that it's anticipated to be $160 billion, if not more, by 2025. There's some elements there that are impacting that relative to price degradation, contracts, things of that nature that I think could change that. And obviously, an aging population that's in constant need of care. So you think it's more? It's going to be probably... Even larger. It could be more, yeah. But I think there's a lot of folks like us that are out there, right? Like we're not out there to help costs rise. We're out there to help bring more transparency and reduce the cost, right? So I think it depends on how fast healthcare organizations adopt. I think some of the services and technology that's out there for them that certainly can have an impact. It's also how industry responds to some of the change elements that are happening in healthcare today as well that could have an impact on the market. So it could be higher, right? Or it could be lower. I, I don't know, right? And I think that all comes back to, we, you got to understand, like there's some well-established oligopolies in the medical device world, right? And so that are all bridged to a lot of other oligopolies. Like most things in healthcare, right? You're not just fighting a one-headed monster. It's usually like a Medusa, right? You got to cut the head off a lot of snakes before you slay the beast. And so that's certainly the telltale with this industry as well. So tell us about Tie-Dye Health's vision and what kind of monsters you're trying to slay with that company. Yeah. So I'll give you like our broad vision, right? Because I mean, we're an early stage organization that's selling an enterprise BP platform, right? So I mean, we got a hell of a hill to climb. But at the end of the day, our broader vision for Tata Health is truly that, right? Like kind of what I mentioned, it's the disintermediation of healthcare and the destruction of these oligopolies and their influence on healthcare and how healthcare functions, which is so important, right? And is a huge impact on the cost of care. At Tata Health, right? We're pretty simple, right? We offer a comprehensive vendor management and bill play platform designed for healthcare facilities to manage these very complex vendor relationships that they have in the medical device space. And so the challenge, I think, with this, with when you have a technology like this or you have a platform like this, is that it's going to take time, right? It's going to take time before you know, the real change is felt. But I think that our efforts combined with a lot of others uh, can be the sum of a greater good, you know, over time for sure. Yeah, no, I agree. And let's make it a little bit more, I guess, clear to the audience that might not be in the medical device world, or maybe they don't work at a hospital, but they're involved in a different way in the healthcare system. So what are some of the problems that your potential clients or customers have that your business is is solving. So like you mentioned, vendor management. So of course, there's so many different types of brands and of manufacturing companies and just device companies that are creating products and they all have their different processes. So a hospital has to manage all those different vendor relationships. They have to manage the payment system that pays the invoices of the companies, yeah. something like that. So do you want to talk about in more detail what your approach is? Yeah. Yeah, so I think it's important for me to understand kind of what happens at the ground level in medical device space. So especially the implantable space, a lot of these surgeries require the participation of a field-based sales representative. 
Mm-hmm. Right. And that's a job that I did when I initially got into this business. Right. And so, like I said, I think we kind of talked about it a little bit briefly, but it's a really interesting job, especially if you're engaged with it, because it's probably one of the only jobs in healthcare where you would work with the central processing department, the central sterile, your materials management, obviously the operating room, all the folks that are up there. You're working directly with a surgeon. You're working with the surgeon's office. If you're doing any type of programmatic launches, you're likely working with the C-suite. And I could keep going on, right, about all the touch points that I experienced in my career doing this. But it really gives you an interesting kind of seat on the front lines of what's going on in healthcare that I got to be honest, I try to think about it sometimes. I don't know if I really appreciated the experience that I was able to I was having when I was having it because you're so hyper-focused on just getting products where they need to be for patient care delivery, but having that available for the surgeons for patient care. But one of the things I think is interesting is that it really does give you the opportunity to observe and participate in a lot of really bad practices. Like I said, when we started to understand the technology and what it could offer, we immediately saw opportunities to utilize it to solve a lot of these challenges that, again, that we observed and dealt with each and every day. And I'll talk about the challenges. I think that's an important piece, right? What are the pain points that are really out there, right? Well, Let's go here. Like most of the products that are implantable medical products that your facility, like healthcare facilities all over this country, right, are mm-hmm. utilizing are kept there on consignment arrangements, right? Meaning that the products there and just used on a pay per use kind of basis, right? It's just kind of stocked there. It's like you're renting it. Correct. Yeah. It's advantageous for the device, but in the sense that they don't have to transport all this if they've got a consistent customer base. And it's advantageous for the healthcare facilities because they don't have to buy it. The challenge is, is that. The data of that inventory that's on hand, right, there is no visibility to that, really. I would say 99% of facilities have no idea what type of inventory is left on the shelves, really, for patient care. That's a fact, right? They don't have an accurate record of that. There's a data silo there. The vendors will have a record of it, but the only way that they're able to kind of maintain that is through an annual cycle count where they send somebody on site to just reconcile the inventory to ensure that it's okay. Just to clarify, when you say like they reconcile the inventory. I mean, they would have field representatives go to the hospitals, basically count and to see if they're still functional, as well as maybe still up to date on their services. You got it. That's it. I mean, you're literally going there and bean counting what could be millions and millions of dollars in medical device inventory to ensure that the product you think is there is actually there. All right. And that's just from an asset management standpoint. The scarier part for us was always that I can't even tell you how many patient care issues that we as field representatives helped like avoid from our own preparation and readiness to ensure that these things happen. And so just the supply chain piece is an absolute nightmare. The last mile logistics, right? When kind of figuring out when a product's used, how does that next product get back into place, right? So that they can be utilized or ready for the next procedure. Big challenge, right? So challenges around there. Just an actual billing and receipt of use was almost exclusively paper-based by way of stickers being slapped on a piece of paper and then transactionally using patient health information as the means of identification that's then shared with all these third-party organizations. It's pretty much the standard practice around the entire country. That seems concerning. It is, right? And so that was another thing. So we were really concerned about that. Look, I had a great team at the time when I ran this business unit, but there was people on my team, like most teams and organizations, some people are stronger than others. So if it's your mother, if it's your grandfather that's in there for a surgery, right? The trust of, for quality control around a product being used is put back on a third-party representative 
And there's no other last check and balance digitally to ensure that that product's right or the compatibility for this. That was something that was concerning to us, <laughs> something that we observed and had seen happen. And so we wanted to create some solutions to that. And then just on the entire billing and payment side, I mean, there's there's no secret the back payments are just an absolute nightmare in healthcare. I mean, and it's typical for hospitals to 30 to 60 days out sometimes on just issuing a purchase order for product that was used in a procedure. And a purchase order is not a payment. A purchase order is essentially just a, hey, an IOU. We know that we owe you for utilizing that product. So here's the basically a contract that we're going to pay you at some point whenever we get around to it, right? And for a lot of these companies that make these products, they're publicly traded. They don't have the ability to recognize revenue until those purchase orders are received. So it's a big challenge. And they put a ton of money into customer service teams to go out there and act like bill collectors on the hospitals to obtain receipt of these POs. So this is just a number of surface issues that we recognized, we knew, and knew that um, the utility of this technology could provide immediate solutions for all of it. That's essentially what we started to build for originally was we were building a platform to come in and act. The entire management tech was necessary to fill this void that really had gone without any form of accountability for really quite too long. So- at a hospital, what's the title of the person who would typically use your product on like a day-to-day basis? Would they be like vendor management director or something like that? So for the person that would be utilizing the product is the surgeon, right? The surgeon is making the decision to utilize the product. Well, I meant, sorry, not the uh, implantable products, not the devices. I mean, the tie-dye health platform. Oh, yes. The end users for us are, are circulating nurses, they are people in purchasing. They are healthcare executives. I mean, it's it, in admins, right? We've created a platform utilizing a shared ledger that provides multi-party connectivity, which is something that was drastically needed. So we're able to connect the vendors. We're able to connect all the keep in the hospital, right? And align them and act as a vacuum for all this activity and put it into one application while using smart contracts to provide the autonomous capabilities necessary to kind of siphon out all that administrative complexity that just mucks everything up and makes it really a lot more expensive than it needs to be. Yeah, you're, you're streamlining the process. And I think that's like awesome. I wonder though, you mentioned you use a blockchain layer to handle all those transactions. Can you explain what like protocol you're actually using? Is it what layer? Sure. Yeah. So our application, we've built the front end is all, you know, user side is all React, right? So we've done all React element on the front end. The actual infrastructure itself on the front end is utilizing DAML. And I know you've, you're you're familiar with them. So yeah, we've got a great uh, partner in, in DA and they've done some great work and we've utilized deployed DAML in a way that I think far exceeded, you know, our original expectations and complexity, that's for sure, because it's been able to do basically anything that we've set out to design it to do. And it's been really great. And then the exciting thing, we're big believers in progressive decentralization, especially with healthcare, right? Again, participating in all these communities and all these forums and being a part of exhibits and things of that nature, right? For all these years now, it's the one thing is like, we all want to rip the Band-Aid off and just be in healthcare 3.0 tomorrow. I'm of the opinion that it's just probably not going to happen like that, right? Like, I feel like we got to get everybody to kind of dip their toes in the water first before we just, you know, push them off the dock and tell them to swim, right? And so we've taken kind of the approach that, look, we don't get too heavy into conversations with our customers or prospects we kind of just talk about what the tech can do and what the tech can do for them. Sometimes you get the inquiring, 
you know, minds of the IT teams that, you know, want to ask questions. But for the most part, folks really don't, you know, know or, or care most of the time, right? They just, all they care about is what, like, like, what is it? Is it make my life easier, right? Is it going to save us money? You know, is it going to reduce friction? You know, all these things that are really cumbersome, right? So, you know, we've, we've taken the approach of, of not leading with, you know, the tech side marketing. And the exciting thing about what we've done is we've gotten some nice traction early on. We know that we can evolve what we've done. We feel like we've got a really future-proof stack. And so the exciting thing is that as, you know, we grow with our customers in the coming years, you know, folks really decide like, hey, we want to operate nodes. We want to participate, you know, in the ecosystem. Well, great. Look, we can redeploy on a number of enterprise offerings. If it's Ethereum, so be it, right? We, we kind of want to let the stakeholders and the admins make those decisions because, you know, in most of that the healthcare facilities that we've we've met with and talked with over the last you know couple of years here, it, not everybody has the capabilities to just go and participate and you know manage keys and, know. and yeah. you know it's they just don't have the ability right technically to go and play that game and so I think in time right we'll get there. Uh, but I think it's it's got to happen in baby steps, and you know maybe I'm wrong. You know, again, I'm not a technical person, right? But it's just th- those are my beliefs, and and we, so we've taken a kind of a conservative approach to it. I agree with you in that it's going to take a while before healthcare fully realizes the potential of using decentralized ledger technologies. And and I've been talking to people for over five years about these problems specifically, so I've seen all like the passionate, excited entrepreneurs trying to make this happen quickly, and I've seen the more veteran executives who know this is going to take 10 or 15 years for true effectiveness to take place in the industry. And I can give you a few examples. Telehealth or video over the internet was available, you know, 15, maybe even 20 years ago. Uh, But it took like what a pandemic for telehealth adoption to become more mainstream and accepted. And, you know, it's still not everywhere. I think most people have agreed that now it's like pretty much mainstream but uh you know there's still people who might resist it or some systems that don't get it or refuse to adopt it um so that's one example that's almost mainly like social and technological not particularly too much financial components of telehealth of course there are that's a great segue though right it's like you know like in talking about that right like so and i love I love the telehealth example, right? Because it's, you're right, right? Like we've had these capabilities for a long time and it did take the pandemic, but then what happened after the pandemic started to slow down, right? We see this retraction where people, you know, because and it's two part, right? It's part because, you know, providers are not incentivized actually to use telehealth visits, right? They're actually, it actually can reduce their, their professional fees, right? So that's part of it, especially if you're a private practice physician, I mean, even if you're 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 a hospital or an IDN, so that that's part of it. And two, I think it 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 probably made a lot of patients realize like they kind of you know wish that they had that personal you know that personal touch or that in person type of you know factor that matters. I think in patient care, right? And so it is interesting, and that's where like. I try not to get hung up on on a lot of the patient care elements, like relative to to blockchain. Right, like anytime people start going down that path, mm-hmm. like you know, hey, listen, some of it's great, right? Like I, you know, like if we want to go into just the the think tank and say, hey, how great is SSI, right? And having patients kind of own and manage their own data, 
Yeah, it's great, right? And and so so two parts of that, right? Like telehealth took off, I think, because you know there's FaceTime on your phone, like you know there's there's Zoom, right? People have gotten really used to using this technology. This would go back to my next other key belief outside of progressive decentralization in healthcare user experience, right? Like, you know, that's the one thing in, in, in like the world of Web3, right, that we all get so excited about that I think if we can, you know, hammer this home a little bit, most of the user experiences, you know, that I observe in Web3 and, you know, for better or worse, right, like, they're not all that great. They're kind of clunky. They're not super user-friendly. And they're intimidating, especially to people who are coming from like the Web2 world. Hell, healthcare might be in web one still, you know, I mean, like literally like (laughs) I I know some facilities that definitely are. Right. And so it's like, all right. So we want them to recognize and realize the promise of the technology. Right. And we don't, and, and when you talk about the elements and areas that we can really fix and improve upon in healthcare with blockchain, right. Look, there's a lot of really exciting stuff that can happen, you know, relative to, to patient management, patient care, right? Like I'm, and I'm all about it, right? Like, you know, nobody flies the blockchain flag, you know, more than me, right? I'll plant that thing. Like, you know, uh, <laughs> you're just a complete, uh, like, crypto degenerate is what you're saying. <laughs> Who isn't, if you're listening to this, you probably are <laughs> to some degree. Yeah, exactly. Right. So, I mean, like I'm, I'm all about it, right. I'm in the game. I'm, I'm on the team guys. <laughs> if I could afford a board eight, I'd buy one. You know, the uh, the challenge is, though, like, you know, if the user experience isn't good, right, and it's too intimidating for people, they're not going to want to use it, right? And I think so that that's part of it as well, right? And I think that's something that, you know, we all as a community need to own that a little bit, right? It, it's about the, the I, you know, we were I was actually one of the, um, one of, I think it was one of the, uh, the, the forums or the special, you know, with, uh, within, within Hyperledger, somebody made mention this. I thought this was a great line. I can't wait for the day when we, we stop, you know, saying this project is a blockchain project or it's blockchain technology or whatever. It's like nobody, and I forget who said it, like it's, it, nobody looks at a website and says, oh, this is made with MongoDB or, you know, uh, right. And I think that's the true, right. It's a true statement in the world, right? Like we, we got to get away from just, you know, the like leading with the technology instead of leading with the benefits and leading with the user experience and leading with what it can do. Um, and certainly in healthcare, I see no limitations around an, an administrative use because first off, administrative expense in the U.S. is an absolute joke. I mean, it's 35 cents on every U.S. healthcare dollar is related to administrative complexity or just administrative tasks, right? And so, you know, there, there's no excuse for us to accept that. Um, and just allow the just you know the absolute bureaucratic management that uh, of you know of uh, of these processes to just you know continue and proliferate like they have you know it's it's time for us to step up and and really utilize these things to to our advantage because they they 100% can provide value and provide cost savings which is the most important piece the most most needed thing in healthcare yeah absolutely and uh, i wonder so you know in terms of what your product or your platform does, is it more focused on the consumables stuff or is it, uh, you know, focused on like managing assets that might be sitting in a hospital for 10 or 15 years? Yeah, no. So we, we are, are strictly hyper-focused on the surgical services space. We are hyper-focused on the implant, implantable medical devices and ancillary disposables that kind of get, you know, grouped into procedures those products, both the, you know, the entire supply chain lifecycle, the capture and use of that data, 
managing those transactions and then settling those transactions uh, in a full continuum um, between multi-parties. So that's that's what our our platform is is hyper focused on. And obviously, you know, being an early stage company, there's there's roadmaps for revolution sure. and, and things that we want to do and, and, and absolutely. Grow so you mentioned like our you know the main user would be like purchasers, uh, rotating rotating nurses or people that are in the hospital. But are the vendors and like the manufacturing companies and the raw materials of the implants are they also in your vision? Are they also supposed to partake or participate in the in the platform somehow? So part of what we do as well, in order for the, you know for us to you know utilize smart contracts to their full advantage, is that you know we have full access to our partners and our customers to their contract data, right? So we have that contract data in the system, and then we're able to facilitate these transactions based on the data provided. Our platform is a web-based platform, and so the exciting thing is that we're able to have the vendors sign on. Uh, and utilize the platform for connectivity and for and for these transactions. And so there is some participation, but it's it's very minimal, you know, and it's good for them because again, it provides them visibility, it provides them data. And so it, it's it's worked out really well. Um, some of our theories, you know, initially when we we went into pilot and then actually you know going, you know, now taking steps into commercialization, we've been really thrilled by, you know, the the compliance of hospital vendor partners and how they've received this technology and how they've utilized it and, you know, how, how much they actually enjoy it. It's been really good. Now, in terms like down the road, right, like this was kind of our, we've taken a different approach in cold start, right? You know, we've hyper-focused on healthcare facilities. Those are our customers. And, you know, we've talked to a lot of people about that and like, well, why, why not try to work with both? Well, that's just going to slow you down, right? Like, so our goal is, is look, we, we are, our healthcare facilities are our customers. We are there to work with them, to provide value to them. There is ancillary value provided to your vendor partners for, for participation. And then I think in time, I hope that the opportunity for us to create um, advanced methods of connectivity to some of these suppliers um, with growth um, presents itself, right? And so being able to use manufacturing logistic data, you know, being on chain, right? I mean, especially if there's folks that are going to participate in that, that provides a ton of opportunity, you know, for our organization uh, and even furthermore for theirs potentially, right? Especially if we're able to, you know, share some, you know, purchasing habits, you know, of customers, yeah. right? If we're if we're able to, to give them some insights into how products are being utilized or how they're being utilized or the amount that's being utilized, uh, because right now, a lot of that data um, is basically mined off the CPT codes on a procedure-based level. It's not always the best, and it's and it's certainly time-consuming. Yeah, it certainly adds another dimension to like you know your dashboard analytics for an executive to understand you know what what's happening, what kind of surgeries are happening, what kind of material are we using, or not really material, but like you said, implantable devices. Um, that's really interesting. So you talked about a pilot project that you had. Do you want to? go into detail about that if you could share? Yeah, sure. So we, we launched a pilot. We, we had to figure out this thing was going to work in a clinical setting. And so end of December, we started our pilot with a hospital in, in Connecticut, Day Kimball in, in, uh, in Putnam, Connecticut, and a uh, small community hospital, great place that we were able to, to partner with. And we initiated the pilot out there and just you know, I, it was really, it was really great. You know, it's, it's, it's scary, right? I mean, every time you, you turn the lights on, you're like, okay, what, you know, what, what's about to happen here? But, you know, a, a lot of what we, we set out to do, um, we got right. And that, that was the exciting thing. We brought the car back into the garage uh, after 60 days. It's still in, you know, the platform was still in use, but um, one of the things that, that, 
you know, kind of adding to uh, one of the, the issues I discussed earlier, you know, we wanted to make sure that the user experience was better. Functionality was great. Smart contracts all, you know, functioned, you know, perfectly, you know, provided a ton of automation, a ton of insight uh, on, on the life cycle of their supply chain. I mean, we found multiple savings opportunities upwards of, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars within the first 45 days uh, that we were able to, you know, present back to the, to the C-suite. Um, so just, you know, really great outcome for a pilot, you know, like probably far beyond our expectations. But w- one of the things we did know is that our end users, right? Like, look, if you're the buyer, like they're, they're you're going to love all that, right? But at the end of the day, we knew that, you know, working in that field for as many years as we did, that the last thing we want to do is have our end users complain or feel like, you know, the the UI was clunky or the things didn't, you know, weren't, weren't as on demand as we would have liked them, right? And so we have been hyper-focused on providing literally the best user experience we can in healthcare, because, like I said, we know for for a fact these are these are folks that uh, are are under constant stress, um, are overworked, right? And and you know you know due to the pandemic, and we like I said, the last thing we want to do is pre- present them with something that um, they're not totally in love with, and so um, that's been a, a lot of our efforts right now. And as we you know we're we're getting into commercialization, is really providing. A really great user experience with the platform. So you know we we've got those network effects started starting to happen. You know as as uh, as we start to grow and scale. Yeah, I was actually curious about the user interface and any feedback you got from the pilot from those specific users. Were there any features that were missing? We have an internal chat function that we built in. It's like in the in the in the wake of iMessenger and all a lot of other you know things that was not put in originally um there was like a you could you could put in you know uh, messenger notes but not like a fully dynamic like back and forth with all multi-parties which is all honestly all of those get logged on the ledger too which is kind of great because it's you know everything within the system is fully auditable so you know we're providing full enterprise visibility to all actions of all users which is which is really great right for healthcare leaders and they they love that but yeah really it just came down to we switched to a more of a dashboard mentality um, with sign-on that I think has been really exciting. So mm. just per- putting the information and the data right in the face of the user when they sign on so they know, okay, these are my tasks for the day. This is this this is where, you know, our, uh, th- this is how many missing, you know, per- purchase orders that we haven't received the restock product back on. This is, you know, how many products are out of life cycle right now that are actually on our shelves all of those things, right? And we wanted them to be alerted and right right in their face so that they wouldn't have to be searching through the platform like for this information or this data as they needed it. We wanted it to be actionable pretty much from from sign on. So um that was that was probably the biggest advancement that came out of it. That's really that's a good learning, I think, and a good, you know, application. Uh it's really important for people to feel like they know exactly what's going on immediately as they look at that screen initially. For so sure. Nice job. Is there any sort of? Uh, actually, I have a few questions more related to the architecture. Just uh, you know, sure. in terms of, you said the data you're using Daml. Uh, and sure. by the way, for everyone who doesn't know, Digital Asset is a company that uh, has a protocol or a platform called Daml. It makes it really easy for businesses to create smart contracts in a simple way, low code way, you can say. But how is the data stored? You, you mentioned that it's stored on. The, the chain, but do you have any more details? Like, so right now it's just it's self-hosted on Aurora. That's that's really where where we've got it right now. And and the obviously we're exploring options right now and how and how we're going to move forward with that. I mean that'll probably be the 
you know, the path forward for at least the next six months or so, but you know, not beneath us to, to deploy on, you know, uh, Bezu or Sawtooth or, or, or one of, or, you know, one of the other commonly used enterprise ledgers that are out there. But uh, I think we're just kind of, again, just trying to wait and see what customer response is going to be like, you know, over time and, and, you know, how, how critical that is really, I guess, in their purchasing uh, habits. Yeah, no, that's fair. And of course, like, you know, this whole blockchain space is kind of moving at such an incredibly fast pace. So it's hard to know, you know, what's in next month, right? Or what's like the best technology to use for your platform. So uh, an iterative ap- approach is definitely the right way to go, in my opinion. And it, it takes a lot of thoughtful analysis and thoughtful creation, really, about how you want to do things, which takes time, you know, and talking to your clients, customers that really it's important and not just them also the vendors and how they want to work be part of this is also important too yeah exactly and that's the thing you don't want to limit yourself right and especially early stage for us to go and you know make a decision about you know a certain product you know layer one that we want to be deployed on right and then everybody's like oh well what about two years everybody's on avalanche right i mean that yeah. that that's not that's not out of the the realm of possibilities right and so um, who knows how things will evolve after after we all warm up from the crypto winter? So, it, it, I mean, it really could be it, it could be it could be in a number of areas, and so um, or maybe be one that's not even you know <laughs> not even mainstream yet, right? And so, but again, that's the thing is like we want to we're we're okay being in a permissioned environment. We're okay with with self hosting the ledger. We're, we're you know our customers are okay with that. It's controllable. It's in it's in line with a lot of other health tech projects that are out there. And we give them the best elements of of the technology without having to worry about the technical infrastructure for right now, right? I think, and then over time we have those conversations, and we can get to that point where you know now maybe we're a participant in a larger network that includes a lot of other applications and in, in, in a larger ecosystem play. So, yeah, and it, this actually reminds me. I interviewed uh, Susan Reminot from Spiritus Partners, and they have a platform to help hospitals manage medical devices, but they're more focused on maintaining like the, you know, sterility, the safety, reliability of devices. So like a a CT scan or something like that, like a large assets. So it's a little bit different, um, but I can see some partnership potential there maybe in the future. So uh, just thought about that. What Stuart Hansen say all the time, you know, uh, blockchain is a team sport. I I think that's a great line, right? And, And it is, right? I mean, we all, if if we really want to get this ball to move right on the on the field, you know everybody's got to kind of, you know, share best practices, you know, share, you know, ideas, you know, you know, try not to be uh, too too uh, too much of an ideologue when it comes to you know how how you're you're running your business and and be open to uh, you know what you know what customers want right and so I think that's you know we're we're you know and, and I think it probably helps us too, based on the fact that, you know, we, we want to be a company that can sell into any facility too. Right. I mean, like, you know, I'm sure if I'm going to deal with, you know, the Cleveland clinic, right. It's, it's like, oh, okay, these are, these are concerns and questions that, you know, you know, maybe we're, we're used you know, to answering and we're, we're okay. We, we've got a strategy around that. Right. Well, I can assure you that if I go to, you know, some small community hospital in upstate New York, Right, where literally you are traveling an hour in with no cell phone signal before you get there and have this conversation, it's probably going to be a little different. 
right? So they're, they're not going to have the capabilities. And so we, we don't, um, we don't want to have any barriers for entry. That's helpful as well. Yeah, you, you certainly have a wide spectrum of potential customers. You have the hospital systems, health systems that have their own venture venture capital firms and you know raising money as well as investing in startups. But then you have the community hospitals who can hardly or can barely afford to pay their their bills. So that's fair. Can you talk to me more about the company itself, Tie Dye Health, and you know your culture, your how big is the team, things like that. We're a team of 11 right now, and we're a mix of, of folks that we've got uh, international from from a uh, engineering and, and production standpoint. But most of our founder team is here in, in the U.S. So myself, my chief technical officer, uh, Bart Kant, who's uh, some folks may know, uh, he was uh, from IBM's uh, consulting services on blockchain for, for many years and, and then uh, um, was running a boutique practice and still is. Uh, called Rethink Ledgers uh, and has been a, uh, a a key component in our, our development and our growth. And so uh, we've got Bart. And then I was able to uh, convince one of our, uh, our other co-founders, Charles Weidman, is, a, is, is one of my, my oldest and dearest friends from, from within industry, uh, who, uh, like myself, is kind of a carbon copy uh, that uh, came from Stryker as well. And so I uh, was able to pluck him out and uh, and he's been he's been instrumental in helping us round out our product, and, and so he he functions in the role as chief product officer for us. So uh, that's uh, that's the core of where we're at, and you know we're in that in that interesting space where we're trying to de-risk our business as much as possible. You know, in in this uh, this very ugly market retraction, so um, we can get the, uh, the the necessary capital to to deploy and um, really round out our team for for commercialization and go to market. Have you approached Stryker for any sort of partnerships? Or- I have have not. No, we've we've uh, yeah we've we have not. Nope. It's uh it, it, and honestly, maybe it's not the right know, fit right now. We we want to remain. Yeah, look, we we're trying to stay vendor agnostic, right? Like at the end of the day, you know, we I, I right, you know, there's one thing I'd say about that industry is you know as as well intentioned as you are as much as you may have like the patient's best interest of heart or your, or your surgeon's best interest of heart, you're always the enemy, right? Like there, there is never a day when everybody puts their arm around you. Like, you know, there, there's not, it's, it's pretty much the most thankless job on the planet. Anybody who's done it, will tell you that too, right? Like there's not a lot of, nobody's giving you a trophy, right? For what you're doing. Right. And so um, it's very transactional, right? Those relationships, you know, you and your healthcare customers, as much as, you know, they like to say that it's not, it certainly is. I don't think that that would be the best case for us as a collaboration like that. We've, but we do have some really great collaborative partners just trying to stay away from the industry once. That's fair. And I, I really do appreciate that because it could be somewhat easy to approach a, a large company like that or another vendor and help, you know, that they can get you, you know, maybe the, I don't want to say reputation, but it might give you some credibility in the industry. But it, like you said, it might also give you bad, like a disservice to your credibility. So uh, fair enough. Um, we don't have to go into more of that. I get your point. That might be an offline conversation. No, no, it's, you know what? This is blockchain stuff. It's got to be transparent, my friend. <laughs> Welcome to the Health Unchained News Corner. I've often said decentralized science will be accepted before decentralized health. There's a lot to unpack there, but basically I think the research funding system as it exists today is ready for a major rehaul and there is little resistance to experimenting with a decentralized model. 
With healthcare data, there are more risks and regulatory barriers to consider, and the medical institutions are more resistant to change. Scientists, however, at least in many cases, already consider themselves modernizers and adaptable to better ways of doing things. So trying out a DSI platform like VitaDAO or LabDAO would not be as shocking. VitaDAO is an open cooperative that anyone can join. Its goal is to acquire, support, and finance new therapeutics and research data in the longevity space. And the VitaDAO Collective co-develops IP with researchers, growing a portfolio of assets which are represented by tokens, or IP NFTs. What's important for this news corner is that Pfizer Ventures has submitted an expression of interest to invest $500,000 in Vita governance tokens and become an institutional member of the community-owned VitaDAO. According to the proposal, Pfizer plans to participate in VitaDAO through multiple avenues, including, for example, providing incoming deal flow, making scientific expertise available, and providing funding for incubation and commercialization. Regarding involvement as a potential acquirer of VitaDAO IP, Pfizer would be looking to evaluate and potentially license IP generated by VitaDAO. There's also a potential to work with Pfizer Ventures to syndicate new company formation around IP that is ready to leverage traditional venture capital. Although the investment is relatively small for pharma, this is still very exciting for the community as it further validates the concept behind DSI and provides additional layers of support from one of the largest pharma companies in the world. Check out the link in the show notes for more info about this news corner. And now back to our episode with John Hatchell, CEO of Tidal. Uh, so I think we're going to wrap up soon. I have a few more personal questions I kind of want to ask you that I asked some of my guests. It's kind of hopefully fun. Uh, if you had to have a microchip implanted in your body, where would you want it implanted? I got a bum shoulder right now from from something, man. Just I think old age and working out too much. But um, I I I got I think I'd get that neural. I'd have to get the neural link. I'd have to call Elon up, right, and get get the uh, get the thing implanted in my brain. Just bypass all those nerves or whatever neurons. Yeah, I I think I think that would be the way I'd go. I'm, my wife is tired of me googling everything, so you know it would keep the phone out of my hand. I could just you know save me some time. There you go. Thanks for sharing that. Uh, do you have a favorite book or some a book that you might have read that influenced you? Uh, yeah. So it, uh, I, I, w- I wish I had more time. I've got three young kids at home, so it's, you know, I my my reading most of the time gets done while I'm traveling. Although I bring you know a stack of books with me every time we go to the beach, and you know, they, they end up just collecting sand. <laughs> yeah. uh, but uh, you know, my the one book that I gotta say has probably stuck with me. Uh, you know. But maybe more so than than any is switch. I don't know if you've read that by by Chip and Dan Heath. I have it um, Just just a really great book, you know, about um, getting you know you know how to get people to change you know habits or behaviors and or you know change their thinking about something. And and uh, you know there's there's always one story in there that that really always sticks with me. And it's it's about you know using imagery to to really get your point across. And so. Um, you know, they were talking about this, this company that they were consulting with and they were trying to, uh, you know, get them to standardize their glove choices, you know, and, and, and the, this kind of the disparity in cost between all these gloves that they were utilizing in this factory. And so, uh, I forget who it was, but, but really kind of the, the reader's digest is, uh, you know, they, they brought everybody in together and they put all these gloves that they were buying on the, on the table, 
you know, with uh, with price tags attached to them. And it must have been like 100 gloves or something. And and I guess the price ranges were like up from like $20 all the way down to like two. And, and basically, the guy's like, can we pick like three of these, <laughs> you know? And uh, I love that story because, you know, it, it immediately got everybody to buy in and realize like, oh, yeah, we got a problem here. Like, you know, look, we're there's this is ridiculous. Right. And so, um, yeah. And I, and so I, I love that story from that book and there's plenty of more, more there. And I think that, uh, you know, for us in the blockchain community as a whole, the web three community, I think we can learn a lot from books like that. Right. Because, you know, every day we're out there evangelizing, uh, you know, everybody and, you know, with, with walking around with blinders on that, Hey, you know, maybe there, maybe there's an opportunity to do things a little differently. And, you know, this, this is a, this is a, a worthy cause to put your efforts and energy behind. Yeah, and I agree. I think like, you know, none of us know exactly how this is all going to play out blockchain in the healthcare space and uh, particularly, you know, what you're doing as well and other people are working on, especially the patient stuff. Like you mentioned, it's really hard to get the platforms that require patient data to work or scale up. It's just, it's hard with regulation, um, oh, yeah. but we have to keep trying, right? That's like the whole point. Like we have to keep finding a way to move forward, keep that momentum and it's happening almost naturally. I mean, you can see that, you know, the space has grown significantly in the last few years. But yeah, I just wanted to thank you again. Appreciate it, uh, John. It's been really good to talk to you. Learned a lot about Tata Health, about the medical device industry and how that works. So yeah, really appreciate it. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, I, pre- I appreciate the opportunity. It's it's uh, kind of surreal to have this conversation because, you know, when we're talking about like how I learned about this space, you know, your your podcast, I didn't know if I mentioned earlier, but your podcast was one of the, <laughs> you know, one of the ways that like I learned early on, you know, like was going and, and rifling through. And, you know, it's funny. It's a small community, though. It's, it's, it's really interesting. I remember, you know, running into you at HIMSS last year and then, you know, like uh, just a number of the people that have been on the show, you know, that, uh, you know, I call friends today you know, or, or at least, you know, co- you know, confidence that I can, you know, bring up and say, Hey, like, what do you think about this? Or why don't you help me on this one? And, um, you know, it's, it's pretty interesting to go back now and, 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 you know, see, see these people who are now, you know, contacts on my cell phone. So, um, <laughs> you know, it's really exciting and, and, uh, you know, where everything's going and, and, uh, and really, really, uh, really happy for the opportunity to be on. So I do want to leave you with this though. So I, I, I don't know if you saw this tweet from Mark Cuban, cause I think this was great. You know, after everything, you know, kind of went haywire in, in uh, you know, in, in the crypto space, he said, look, he said, you tweeted this out something that's sort of like, we, we've not seen the use of smart contracts to improve, improve business productivity and profitability. It's like, that's going to be the next driver is when companies can use smart contracts for a competitive advantage. And, you know, obviously I tweeted, retweeted that out to like all 35 of my followers, I think on Twitter, you know, of our company page, but n- nothing got me more excited about that. Cause I, I you know, that's, that's a, obviously a big belief of ours. Right. And so um, hopefully the folks listening uh, can walk away and, and appreciate that as well. Awesome, John. Thank you so much again. Appreciate it. Thanks, Ray. Hey, all you cyberpunk health warriors and nimble digital disruptors. Check out healthunchained.org. And remember to subscribe to Health Unchained on Stitcher, SoundCloud, Google Play, and iTunes. Join the Health Unchained community on our Telegram group, t.me slash healthunchained. If you enjoyed this episode, tell your friends, your bosses, your teams, your students to listen and subscribe. Thank you.